I feel like every time, you know, the Harry Potter, every time Voldemort kills someone, it splits his soul. He creates a Horcrux. I feel like every time a designer creates a mascot, they create a Horcrux. Hi, everyone. This is Megan, and you're listening to Better Product. We're back with a new episode inspired by mine and Christian's Slack conversations. This time, we're looking at what it looks like for brands to grow up, and we're opening a barrel of monkeys to help. Join us as we look back at the evolution of MailChimp's humble little monkey to a huge acquisition, SurveyMonkey's recent rebrand, and other brands that came of age or didn't. Oh, yeah. Barrel of monkeys monkeying around. I think we spent a good hour just figuring out what monkey pun to use for this, but we had to make this episode. We had talked about this episode actually a couple months ago when we were talking about irreverent brands or growing up as a brand. And then MailChimp announced that they were getting acquired for 12 bajillion dollars. That's the technical name for for billion, but you can also just say billion dollars by Intuit. This episode is not going to be us like debating whether that's good or bad. I think business is business and we're not here. Well, I don't know. I don't want to speak for you, Megan. I'm not here to to throw any stones. I also saw a headline, someone asking, is MailChimp really worth $12 billion? And I was like, what? why are you asking that question? Obviously they are because someone just paid $12 billion for them. That's all you need to know about business is like what the market tells you you're worth, you are worth. Boom. Right. Settled. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. And it's like, there's so many designers that want to talk about like, oh, it sucks to get bought by a big company. That, that just happens no matter what you do in life. Like designers have this weird sort of like indie band sort of mentality. It's like they want to support you, but if you ever get successful, they like reject you. So we're not going to do that on this episode, but it does exist. And I bet the MailChimp designers are pretty happy, especially if they had equity, considering this was a completely bootstrapped acquisition. So they probably got a little cut of that $12 billion, 12 gajillion dollars, whatever you call it. I don't know what I like, like how you break down a bajillion. There's like majillions and then I don't know what happens after that. But hopefully some designers got that. But I think it's funny because there's two really big companies, really big software companies that have monkeys as their their mascot or logo. Well, sort of. Now there's one. Sort of. Sort of. Yes, that is true. Now there's one. So I'm guessing most people are familiar with SurveyMonkey and probably fewer people are familiar with a company called Momentum. But spoiler alert, they're the same company. It changed from SurveyMonkey to Momentive. And that's really what started us wanting to talk about this before the MailChimp news was just how it was rare to me. So I follow the stock market a little bit, but enough to know that when I saw SurveyMonkey rebranding to Momentive, that was interesting to me because you don't really find publicly traded companies that rebrand. It's really, really challenging once you are a publicly traded company to rebrand. There's a lot more at stake. So you typically do it beforehand. And we've talked about on the show, but off and on, we'll talk about how when you sort of rebrand leading up to going public, getting ready for the ball, like we talked about in the past about how Slack sort of refined their look before they went public. Sana did the same thing. So there's a lot of companies that have done that. This one was sort of strange because it happened after. So anyway, we look at these two different paths and say, 
what's up with these two companies that come from monkeys? What's behind that? And and use that as sort of like a, a talking point to figure out how do you grow up as a brand? And so Megan, you're the brand expert. You're going to like drive this show. I'm going to kick it off maybe by just sort of going back in time with where these came from. So Christian, before I jump in, because I, you know, like you said, I have a lot of opinions about brand and I have a lot of thoughts about these two companies and the way that they've been using brand to accomplish these things. I know you have the browser windows open and I know our listeners want to know where did these names come from? How did two companies in this software space end up with monkeys in their names? I thought you'd never ask. And it just so happens I I do have these browser windows open. It's like I prepared to talk about this. So I'm really excited to share. I will say that it was actually pretty challenging to find this information. I finally found these blog posts that referenced an interview with each of the founders of these companies. And so that was funny in and of itself. So I don't honestly remember when SurveyMonkey was founded. I don't have that browser window open. I have the one where they went public, which was in 2018. But I was when I was looking up SurveyMonkey's background, I'd never honestly even thought about it. I think I've known SurveyMonkey's brand for so long from the free forms and, and, that, and free surveys that it's always been around. So I hadn't really considered it. But when I looked it up, I found one of the founders, Ryan Finley, or maybe the founder, I can't remember if there's another one, not the CEO today, but Ryan Finley was looking, this is a quote, was looking for something fresh, but also describe the product. And so it was an online survey tool. They thought, what's curious and uses tools? Monkeys. So SurveyMonkey was born. So if you're like me, you're a reaction to that. I was like, well, that's like a, that's a pretty loose like connection to anything, but sure, whatever, go, go ahead. But really one of the things that someone also pointed out was around that time in the early 2000s that you're really just trying to create a name that sort of stands out. And so for those of you who have seen the like .ly, like when the URL started getting taken, a lot of people started adding ly. Like we have a company here that actually also was recently acquired Lessonly that was sort of born out of that trend as well. You also see like companies taking vowels out. So a lot of company names really do get started by something seemingly arbitrary, which is just like, can we own the domain name? Does it stand out and sound quirky? Effectively, that's where SurveyMonkey came from. Of all the stuff we know about MailChimp and their brand and Freddy the Monkey, I also wasn't really clear on where their name came from. But Ben Chestnut, one of their co-founders, did an interview a while back talking about, well, we had this philosophy when it came to our web design projects, because that's what they were doing before starting MailChimp. They said, if all else fails, add a monkey. Clients love monkey. So we called it Chimp Mail. Then we learned the domain was taken. So we called it MailChimp. So again, I find that to be like fairly arbitrary. There's like nothing deep at the root of it. But I would say from there, the stories really diverge in how they sort of leverage the brand. And that's what I would love to have your perspective on, Megan. So what stood out the most to me, where they diverged the most was target market. And that's what I noticed first. And that's kind of what I think set them both up to where they are today. SurveyMonkey, if you remember, so before Typeform, before Google Forms, before any other sort of tool out there, SurveyMonkey was the tool that anyone and everyone could use to send out a survey. Didn't have to be anything serious, but it could have been like you could do research that way, or you could pull your friends that way. Everybody used SurveyMonkey for personal reasons for professional reasons. It was kind of like that catch-all tool. And so they didn't really have a reason 
to narrow down a target audience with their brand because their target audience was everybody. And over time, they still, I think, kind of adopted that in as kind of like a brand philosophy as well as even a product philosophy as they added more functionality, which is if everybody's finding value in this, like why should we narrow our audience? Everybody can use it, so why not? We should appeal to everybody or at least try not to offend anybody with our brand. MailChimp, on the other hand, I was reading actually a press release from Ben Chestnut about this newest acquisition, and MailChimp has been focused on small businesses from the very beginning. So Ben and his co-founder both had parents growing up that owned small businesses. They were super passionate about helping small business, and that is why MailChimp has always had that focus as their target audience. So as they've added new features, they've always kept this very specific audience in mind. So much so that Intuit, apparently also very passionate about helping SMBs, is the one that acquired MailChimp. So with their brand, had a very specific target market, whereas SurveyMonkey had really no target market. It was everybody. So that's why I think that when we get to this point, the two of them are on very different paths at the moment. I think you painted a really good picture. And if you even look at when we talk about rebrand too, it might even be worth sort of describing what we mean by that. I mean, you have a lot of like nuanced language around it, but I would say MailChimp has refreshed and revised their brand over time, but always kept the chimp at the core. And you can go search for for the evolutions of even Freddie, the, the chimp icon or logo. But if you look at SurveyMonkey, I'm looking at one of the articles written earlier this year when they rebranded from their CMO And she was talking about rebranding a 20-year-old tech company and said, it isn't every day that you get to launch a new brand, let alone relaunch a 20-year-old tech company. But this week, we're doing both. SurveyMonkey has become Momentive, a leader in agile experience management. So I think even that last phrase, she's effectively hinting at a category that they're sort of moving into. And I think with their situation, partly the monkey is part of the issue, but the word survey is actually a huge issue, which it doesn't really tell the story of what they're trying to go do. So I think it almost looks like they floated and the brand was open. And once they locked down on the market they're trying to go after, it seems like they started building a different product strategy around that was tied to agile experience management, which means that would be really hard to tie to a a brand name like SurveyMonkey. There's a lot of nuance that goes into what is a rebrand versus what is a brand refresh. And MailChimp has refreshed their look and gone through evolutions over the years, but they pretty much always had that North Star. And so they've stayed true to whatever their target market might be attracted to at that point in time. They've kind of kept that chimp throughout because for their target market, it's fun. It doesn't feel juvenile. SurveyMonkey, on the other hand, is trying to move up market. So far, they pretty much haven't had a target market until recently or fairly recently a lot of other tools have started popping up and they're like, okay, we need to narrow in because other tools, other companies are taking pieces of the market. We need to figure out which piece of the market we can own. And that piece, clearly by their rebrand to Momentum, the fact that they're looking a little bit more buttoned up, a little bit more professional, that piece for them is up market. They're moving towards that enterprise as their target audience. And so when it comes to enterprise, those people aren't looking to buy something like Survey monkey that they used to send to their friends for funny polls or that has even has a monkey in its name. They're looking for more professional, more buttoned up products that they can push out to all hundreds or thousands of their employees. And so for that reason, Survey Monkey decided to do a full rebrand 
to change their perception and market, change their name even to feel a little bit more like an enterprise product as well as their look. Uh, that's really fantastic insight. It's got, kind of getting me thinking too, this is a little bit specific, but when you talk about how momentum, or I guess say during the survey monkey years, how they sort of like stayed open and then MailChimp really doubled down and had that mission towards small businesses, it got me realizing you didn't really see like the survey monkey iconified or really like talked about much. It was like the name of the company and that was kind of it. I'm sure they had some graphics along the way. I think it was in the logo, but they didn't like caricature it. I don't think they gave it a yeah. name, at least externally. Right. It had no, had no personality. But when you're describing MailChimp, it's like Freddie had a name and like it had like a personality. And I remember years ago seeing this, I think it was a video they'd put out about the high five that you get. If you ever uh, sent an email campaign on MailChimp, you get this high five from Freddie because it's this moment of like anxiety as a business owner, like I'm about to send this email campaign out. It was like a celebratory and sort of like sigh of relief, like you did it. So I guess my, where I'm headed with it is that's an example to me of how they really leverage that brand. So I think Megan, when you're talking about how they embodied that mission and kept a strong brand, I think that's just one of many things that MailChimp really did. They doubled down on the MailChimp and didn't shy away or brush it under the rug as they grew. They were like, let's actually leverage this even more and sort of build, I don't know, maybe build relationships with our customers through this monkey. Right. And they could do that because they had identified their customers so clearly. And they knew that that's something that their customers would be receptive to. I guess I, I wanted to put you on the spot, but I don't because whenever we talk about brand at Innovate Map, Every once in a while, maybe once every couple of years, we get a founder that talks about a mascot. And I, we've had designers, I think, that have said they would love to do a mascot. Maybe you have. I don't know. But like anytime I hear that, like I cringe. I think like, I don't know, Tony the Tiger. And I'm like, there's no way it can be done. And then when we were doing the prep for this. I'm like, well, MailChimp did a really good job with it. So do you think people out there that are listening like, can do this or is this impossible or like is it hard to do or like what should people know if they're ever sort of thinking about a mascot or maybe i don't know character to to leverage around a brand it's funny you bring that up because i feel like whenever our clients come to us with that suggestion most of whom it's good to say i guess good to mention that they are b2b software companies so most of whom don't have a ton of room to be playful, but every time they come to us and say, well, we're thinking about a mascot or we want our logo to be a mascot, everybody is like a collective like cringe in that meeting. And I feel like every time, you know, the Harry Potter, every time Voldemort kills someone, it splits his soul, he creates a horcrux. I feel like every time a designer creates a mascot, they create a horcrux. <laughs> wow. Well, okay, your feelings are definitely uh, very clear now on it. Sorry, Mailchimp, don't don't blacklist me over that. Would you agree that Mailchimp has done well? I do think Mailchimp has done it well. I think that a fundamental part of doing anything well, especially in brand, is going all in. If you're going to do something, you need to do it on purpose, and you need to be very intentional about every decision you're making, especially when those decisions might be riskier decisions. Something like adding a mascot. So especially the fact that MailChimp, it sounds like there was a lot of internal rallying around Freddie and a lot of history behind it. It sounds like people were kind of bought in. That probably helps them a lot with their internal brand. And then that resonates externally. I mean, I think it's a great breakdown. I think there's 
top-down leadership that's totally bought in, like you said. So I think if you are listening to this, you're like, I really want to do a mascot. What does it take? I think, like you said, got to be all in. And then as you grow, you have to continue to be all in. And I think I would even go so far because I've been in some of these client meetings where there's new brands. And I always think it's like that moment where, well, it was a show on TLC for a while called What Not to Wear. And I always loved when like, I, I like that. When I watch you all do brand work, I always thought about what not to wear. And so there was this moment on the show. If you don't know the show, go look it up. So basically, they take somebody who's been nominated by friends whose like wardrobe and style is horrible. I mean, like cargo pants galore, like four sizes too big, or like clothes that are too loud, whatever it is. And then they sort of like give them a makeover. But I always think it's interesting to watch because when you watch the people go through it, it's so personal. When you when you're giving somebody a new style, you have to also like match it to with what they're comfortable with. But then you as a person also have to like, there's almost like therapy involved. You almost have to see yourself in that way. Anyway, where I'm going with is when I look at these brands and brand refreshes, like I feel like there's going to be these moments as you scale as a company where your brand's going to be out of sync with who you are today. And that's almost like your wardrobe's outdated. Or if we talk about something irreverent or like a monkey where it may feel uncomfortable because you're like, oh, are people going to like this? Well, the way you get through that is to own it and just commit to it. And I think where I'm going with this long journey is that Ben Chestnut as a CEO has continued to support it all the time. I mean, publicly talking about the brand of MailChimp off and on for, for, for a couple of decades. And so with that support, everybody has the comfort to continue to, to do it. And, and I think it's this sort of like virtuous cycle of, of brand and not a lot of Horcrux. What I I don't know Harry <laughs> Potter is that right? Is that Horcrux, Horcrux creation? Yeah. Or whatever. And the what not to wear example actually used to be one of my favorite shows, but it's also a really great example. And one of the reasons I love brand is because the whole thesis of that show was these people were nominated by their friends and their friends are like, this person is an incredible person. They do all these things for their family, for their friends, but they don't dress like it. They, they kind of dress like crap and they don't, I mean, they end up feeling bad about themselves as a result because they look in the mirror and they don't like what they see. And a lot of that is based on their appearance because if obviously they're such good people, then they should like that part of themselves. So part of the show was let's show them how great they really are and then let's introduce them to clothes and a style that looks and feels like them, but shows them off to the rest of the world how the rest of the world sees them. And so one of my favorite parts about brand, we, these companies come to us, especially founders who have just these incredible ideas and big visions and things they want to do to change the world, but they don't look like they can do it from the outside. When you look at their brand or their product, they don't always look like it. And so my favorite thing to do is to make them look like that big of a company, make them look like that impressive of a company so that they will be successful either with investors or with potential customers. So now Momentum is on this journey and, and I'm curious what your thoughts are and what they have to do to make this new rebrand successful. For example, they built some equity in SurveyMonkey, clearly not a lot. They're moving. Now they have this new focus. What do they have to do to make, well, let me back up before I say that. Like when you, when it first went SurveyMonkey to Momentum, it was just whiplash. Like what, like I'm just like trying to figure out what I'm looking at. Right. Completely, complete 180. And it came out of nowhere. And maybe there's no other way it could have been done. Maybe it could have been done better. But I think because it was so different, but I think that's just a point in time. So that whiplash is over. 
But what do they have to do now in this next phase, Momentum, to make sure that they start to fit that new brand? I think they need to do what MailChimp has done from the beginning, and that is go all in. Like, I think they need to be 100%. We are Momentum now. We're, this is our target market. We're moving up market. We're focused on enterprise. We're focused on these larger businesses. This is just who we are as a company. And they all need to be bought in on that internally. And then they need to figure out how to promote that externally and really make the switch. Because I think I heard something about like, yes, they did this rebrand, but maybe there's still SurveyMonkey showing up somewhere for these legacy clients who are still, they love SurveyMonkey. They don't want to lose it. And honestly, that makes me a little bit nervous because there's always going to be some legacy clients that are upset that you lost your monkey logo. Fine. But then if you really want to make a rebrand successful, you have to go all in on it. Yeah. And I think she mentions too, like brand architecture, and we talk about product architecture to sort of give a little more specifics. I'm looking at Momentum.ai, their site. If you scroll down, it says a new type of agile experience management. And they have these sort of like four sections, which we would call a product hierarchy, which is where you have like this like anchor product and then these new products that sort of fold under it. And they have market insights, brand insights, employee experience, and customer experience. I think those sound pretty standard, but they're using the word experience and insights very in a very specific way. They also have, if you go to their site, I, I'm a big fan of the shapes and line repetitions that they're using in different shapes. I think it's really consistent. So I think if you want an example of what you know Megan means by following through on that, I think it starts to give a hint at that, that it's not just the visuals being cohesive, but does it tie into your name? Does it tie into the category? Agile experience management, prove that. What does that look like? Agreed. I think they absolutely look like that type of company now. They look like who they're trying to be for. They look like enterprise. In fact, we actually just ran a brand discovery workshop with a client the other day, and we showed them a few different mood boards based on themes of where they could move their brand to. And one of those mood boards was more professional and clean and buttoned up. And we actually pulled a couple screenshots from Momentum for it. You said clean buttoned up. There's literally pictures of people wearing button-ups too. So it's sort of like projecting the image of who they're serving. There's a lot more that I think they have to prove, but I think it sounds like what you're saying is the same is true for any brand. You, you have to continue to commit to it. I think their CMO needs to keep speaking on it to sort of keep reminding people like why they're that. You don't just make the rebrand and just hope people get it. I think you have to, like you said, there's a lot of clients with that experience or that that name recognition. They need to be reminded. Don't take that for granted over time. So we have two companies, both of the chimp and monkey sort of derivation, both seeing insane success. So some key takeaways. I think takeaway number one, if you want to have success in this world, go with a monkey. So obviously like Gorilla Glue, like it's also, anyway, no, I'm just kidding. Coco, that monkey that learned sign language, Coco did pretty well. Well, now you're just giving people free brand names. So go with Coco and that can have, you can go many different ways, but also reference Coco the monkey. Boom. You'll be a billion dollar company. But if I, if I think about what to take from this, I think both companies started with, I don't know if I want to say a superficial, I don't know the right word, but almost like a superficial rationale for their brand. But both sort of did different things. I don't think we're trying to say who's right and who's wrong, but hopefully it's clear what MailChimp has to do to make theirs work. SurveyMonkey clearly focused on other things, but now we're seeing this moment where 
as they grew up, they do have some brand debt they have to deal with and, and sort of grow into this new brand of Momentum. But I think the, the point is, no matter what the source of your initial brand is, you need to find something that connects with your people and connects with your market. And then you just need to really, really own that. Yep, I think that's great. And the other takeaway, which Christian, you were kind of hinting at is when you do something, especially when you do something weird, you need to do it on purpose. So if that's for a target audience, great. If it's just to kind of get attention, great. Again, we're not saying which one may be better than the other. Obviously, these are both two pretty successful companies. But if you're not going to go all in, then you're just going to half-ass it, then there's much more chance that you're going to fail. What is that? There's a Ron Swanson quote that's like, don't half-ass two things, whole-ass one thing. There you go. That's probably it. I know you're supposed to whole-ass things, though. I, I remember Ron telling me that. Well, telling all of us that. Well, we started talking about monkeys and ended with Ron Swanson, covered a little bit of Harry Potter um, and a lot of monkeys. So I think we've done our job here. But uh, yeah, this was a lot of fun talking about this. This was good. We hit all the different pop culture points. Well, it was a lot of fun talking about monkeys and brands and all that. Hopefully this was entertaining. Hopefully maybe you learned something, but it's been awesome to sort of share, you know, how Megan and I think about products on the inside. And if you want to have more insights, you want to start more conversations with us on the topic of product brands, you can always email us and we're going to keep giving this email out until the emails get weird. They haven't gotten weird yet or inappropriate. So we're going to keep doing it. Mine is christian.beck at innovatemap.com and hers is megan.pfeiffer at innovatemap.com. I'm not going to keep spelling our names out though. You can just go to Innovate Map and look at how our names are spelled. Do the math. Thanks for joining us. And if you haven't yet, be sure to join the Better Product Community. We've got all sorts of content and resources for you. And if you want more audio, don't forget... The Business of Product is our latest show to join the Better Product Network, and you can find that and more at betterproduct.community.